Hi there. I am so excited to invite you to attend our fourth annual free virtual special education and advocacy conference. We are hosting it here at Ashley Barlow Company in partnership with Rebecca Poe Teaching. And we are so excited for a few new things at this year's conference. The first new thing is that we have not just one, but two different tracks for attendance. For the first time ever, we have created a track that is specific for school staff and teachers. We also still have that traditional track that we intend to be really great for parents and caregivers in the IEP arena. So yes, we have a teacher track and a parent track. On that teacher track, you are going to learn about things like easier data collection, gestalt language processing, behavior reading, and other super hot topics in special education practice, as well as advocacy. On the teacher and caregiver track, you're going to learn about stress management for caregivers, using adaptive books, something that I have really kind of um, dove into here at my own house, inclusion advocacy, advocacy strategies, and so, so much more. That free ticket will give you one pass, one access to one presentation per hour on the track that you choose, either that teacher track or the parent track. Of course, if you are not available on January 19th or January 20th when the conference is taking place, you can buy tickets to access the conference on demand. And those tickets, of course, are available at our website, ashleybarlowco.com backslash conference slash 2024. Check out the website for more information about ticketing. This year, we also have something super exciting planned. We have decided to make this a two-day event. When I partnered with Rebecca Poe Teaching, I told her that I really feel like School districts, disability organizations, and other community organizations need to start providing trainings that are accessible to teachers, related service providers, administrators, parents and caregivers, and other community members that are interested in IEP support. What if we all attended the same training? What if we all learned information about special education practice? curriculum, how to read evaluations, that kind of stuff, about special education advocacy, how we can collaborate more, how we can work together, and even about special education laws. What if we all attended those presentations and we workshopped them together? So together with Rebecca Poe Teaching, I have created the Empowered Workshop Series, and we are excited to bring it to your organization or school in 2024 and beyond. If you are interested in having Rebecca and I bring a workshop to you, you can see a preview of the Empowered Workshops on January 19th, the Friday before our main conference programming. For more information about that, either send me a DM or check out the website, again, ashleybarlowco.com backslash conference dash 2024. We hope to see you January 19th and or January 20th and can't wait to connect with you. Hi everyone. Welcome to the Ashley Barlow Company podcast. I'm Ashley Barlow, your host. If you are a parent, 
a teacher or someone who works at a school, or you're a community member, a volunteer or a staff member at an organization that supports people with special education plans, a coach, a tutor, or even a grandparent, you're in the right place. Sit back with an ice cold glass of lemonade, put on your walking shoes and grab some headphones, roll down the windows and cruise. Ready, set, go. Educate, advocate, collaborate. Hi friend. Hello. Yay. We have been trying to do this for a second and I am so excited to introduce you to uh, my audience. Everybody, this is Marissa Rothermel. Marissa is one of our amazing tutors over at the Tutoring Center. And this summer, I tried to do podcast interviews with all of the tutors. And guess what? We got too busy at the Tutoring Center and in our other projects. And so that's a good thing to have. But Marissa and I are still kicking at the Tutoring Center. And I wanted to introduce her to you guys. So why don't you give a, a, a better, more thorough introduction, friend? Oh, goodness. Uh, jack of all trades? No, not that's not true. Uh, special education behavior enthusiast. Uh, I'm I'm here on the Ashley Barlow team as a, I would call it a behavior consultant above all else. I, yeah. you know, work with families navigating the school environment and the home communication and what you can do for school, what you can do for home and how we can all come together and how we can all sit down at a table and come to agreements that work for a child on a very individual level. Because there's one thing we all know about behaviors is that there is no program or script or like magic trick that's going to get a kid who's got some behavior stuff going on back on track. And and that's what I'm here to help uh, get everybody talking about. And it's a lot of fun along the way. You get to work really closely with families, get to work with a lot of different schools across the country and, and get everybody... Uh, you know, working together. Yeah. Yeah. That's what we're doing. That's it is. So good. And just that little introduction is exactly why you're here because I said, introduce yourself and you're like, yeah, behavior, behavior, behavior. <laughs> and like, but we don't even know what you've done. And that's like kind of the whole thing, right? Like we are here to service our clients and to collaboratively work through work through issues. But why don't you tell everybody what your professional background is too? Just so oh, we can Oh goodness. Special education teacher, uh consulting teacher. Uh I've worked in uh mostly self-contained classrooms throughout my entire life. Uh whether they are located in a self-contained building or whether they are in a public school setting. Uh I've dabbled in Basically, every age group that receives uh, services. Uh, so you're talking birth through 21 uh, if you're in New York State, which is where I was originally educated, though I love to hear that across the country we're seeing services extended now to much older than 21. Uh, I believe, are, is in Ohio one of them, Ashley? Aren't you? Uh, I thought that they were moving close to 24. I think I heard 24. Don't quote me, oh. but I, I know that uh, a few different states are looking at 24 and even 26 oh. years old for public education for students with disabilities at this point. So it's pretty exciting. I don't know that that's happened in Ohio, but um, I mean, I, I know that trend is happening and yeah. I that's really exciting. So. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard it clicked around in quite a few states at this point. So uh, we'll see what comes down the pike, but it's, it's very, very exciting to help uh, be a part of getting kids of all age levels, the services that they need. And that's what I've been doing 
So it on the side, I, I do some consulting work through you, through my own uh, agency, and we just uh, kind of meet the needs of, of what comes across our purview, whether it's in a school setting or or helping out families getting the support that they need. Yeah. And I think that's something that's really exciting and noteworthy is that you and I connected first because of the ABC course. Mm -hmm. And I think I remember that the ABC course, the thing that was most intriguing to you was the business aspect of it. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, special education, you're naturally a great advocate because you are so collaborative, but it was really kind of that business piece of it that you were like, I need help learning how to set up a business and how to operate a business. And of my students, you are definitely in the top tier of people that have <laughs> taken that business advice and really kind of run with it. Started your LLC and and consulted with professionals about insurance and legal and all of this stuff. And you got your website going and your logos and and you know. So I think it's cool when we can take like our skill set and add on to our skill set add whatever we need that's lacking or bolster what we already know. And well, I think that's how you found me originally. You said, I need someone for behavior. And I was like, oh, hey, me right here. I, I do behavior. That's my thing. <laughs> Let's do something right. together. And it's been right. a party ever right. since. <laughs> it's been a party ever since. So yeah, I mean, and, and, and I just think that you're awesome that way. So we started off this summer thinking we would do basically like more classes and group things at the tutoring center. And not surprisingly, those did not take off the way that we had hoped they would. But, you know, when you're trying to get kids from all across the country to all be available on a Tuesday at 10 o'clock Eastern, you know, the chances of that working out are not super good. And so what's ended up happening is you've done a lot of one-on-one -on -one consults. Let's say like somebody comes in to you, Marissa, and you know, I, I don't intend for this to necessarily be like a commercial for the tutoring center. I would like to talk about like best practices. So let's say you have a kid um, who's an elementary schooler and struggling with behavior and it's starting to impact their educational placement. So either, you know, the, the school is saying, you need to go over here. You need to get out of the classroom because you're bugging everybody else. Or like it's an actual change of placement situation. What would you do first with these parents? Like to walk us through how what the beginning stages would look like. Well, you know, the first step is, is I want to know everybody's point of view. I want to hear what the parents are seeing at home. I want to see what documentation has been provided by the school. I want to see what's been tried. What works at home? What works at school? What doesn't work in either setting? What documentation shows a lengthy, uh, basically, system of interventions that have helped this child find success within their current program? You know, is there a behavior plan? Is there a crisis management plan? What does school and home communication look like? Are we looking at what happens before an event, what the event looked like uh, while it happened and what happened afterward? It's kind of doing that data gathering at first and honoring that everybody feels kind of frustrated at this point, right? Not only is the child frustrated and acting out, but the parents don't want to be getting phone calls and notebooks home saying, oh, my kid's, you know, having a hard time at school. And the school's struggling to come up with how can we help this child succeed educationally and be a part of the classroom community. So it's it's taking all of those pieces together, putting it in kind of kind of that package to say, here's here's what we have collectively from an outsider's view. 
how can we move forward together? And and whether it could be offering suggestions to the school, sitting down at the table with the family and talking about, you know, here are some things that we could try. Really taking a look at sensory is kind of the avenue I've been going down a lot because sensory integration in the classroom is huge for kids, especially post-pandemic, right? We have kids that stayed home for a year or two longer, and they don't know how to not be overwhelmed in a classroom anymore. And so, and that's, that's every child, not just a child who has, you know, a unique disability. So looking at the sensory things, making sure that the environment really is set up for success and the basic needs are met before we say, oh, this kid can't come here anymore. So it's really, it's building that case to say, what have we done? Where can we go? And is this the best or only option that we have left? So it's, and you it's a lot of evaluations, fun. right? Like what kinds of things would we evaluate if we saw this happening? Like what what kind of objective data would we also get? Well, a lot of it has to do with, you know, building that basic behavior support plan and looking at, I, I really focus on the events. I want the information about what time of day are things happening? Who is there? What was asked of them down to the specific word? You know, how was it asked of them? Uh, how did they respond? And and what did they get out of it, right? So I'm not the person who's going to sit there and say, hey, we're going to use this program to look at this child, or I'm not going to promise that we're going to use this particular way of approaching something because every child is different. And I'm going to look at what they need based on what I'm seeing happen in the classroom. Right. So. And I think that's so important because a lot of times we as parents know, we know. We know it's triggering to them. We know. But if we can get down to that like micro detail level and we can keep it objective. So then our advocacy can be stronger because, first of all, we've asked a bunch of questions. So we don't go in there like explaining to them what every step that they've done wrong because we know our kids. And also we can get down to details like how to say the same thing in a way that isn't triggering to a kid or what time of day we want to do certain activities and avoid others. And if we can get there, we can avoid those big other problems like the the human themselves is a trigger to the child or the environment itself is a trigger to the child. Uh, And like, That's not always, that's not a negotiation strategy that's taught that often, but it's just effective and like almost have to kind of feel your way around that, don't you think? Absolutely. I mean, I think that's a lot of what makes, you know, working with students who have behaviors like a finesse or an art is, you know, figuring out what makes them tick. A long time ago, I kind of coined the phrase, be the cookie. And be the cookie is the approach that I like to teach. Every classroom, uh, you know, set of uh, instructional assistants, paraprofessionals, teachers, aides, whatever you call them in yours. But when I get a new classroom team, I like to say, all right, we're going to practice be the cookie for the first couple of weeks. And what that means is you need to get each individual child to think you're the cookie. You're the thing they want. How do you form that bond with them so that if a behavior starts to occur, you're able to redirect? But that takes effort because kids don't always naturally want to listen to you, right? Like you need to form the bond first. And that's the that's the basis of every behavior is do they kids feel trusted, uh, safe, and, you know, like that they're in an okay space 
And from there, we can pull out the behavior support components that they need. I think that's super true. So much of the time, there's a trust fall between student and adult. And that's really hard to explain to adults. I mean, I say all the time, but half the reason I'm hired is to say the uncomfortable things. So I'm just mm-hmm. going to tell you that he doesn't feel like you got his back, you know, and then you've got to go in and explain. And that's why those micro details are, again, so important, because if you say that generally, you're going to do nothing but piss everybody off. Exactly. I can say, like, here are, here are four examples of when it broke down specifically. And here are ideas for how we can avoid that breakdown. Then we're going to get, so we're more likely to get solutions. I mean, we don't always, but we're more likely to get solutions. So yeah. And you're so, so good at that. I mean, you really are like you, I think, I think the reason is because not only do you have those advocacy skills, but you really understand behavior. Yeah. What about a classroom? And I think the biggest thing that I say to, and I didn't mean to cut you off, I apologize, but the thing that I say to so many people is that, you know, every parent sends their school or every parent sends their child to school wanting their kid to be safe, loved, and educated, right? So safety should be a given. Loved sometimes takes a little bit of, Mm -hmm. of to make happen. So one of the things that I really like to do, and I encourage all parents to do this, all the time, everywhere, is that if a kid's starting in a new classroom, make the cheat sheet. You're the parent. You know your kid. List a couple things that they could always talk about. A few favorite things. If you know they have a trigger, put that on there. Like, never ever talk about whatever it is, you know? And, and, And sending in that cheat sheet over of your child helps so much because it's your snapshot. It's your student snapshot. And I, as a teacher, create them if uh, if they don't exist. Uh, but I encourage every parent to be part of that process and say, like, this is my yeah. kid. Love them. Love yeah. them. And, and we're going to find success. Right. And even if they don't, if you don't have the time to do an All About Me book or that that's not your jam, that one pager, like my All About mm-hmm. Me book is in the commu- communication template. Communi- I think it's called Back to, communi- Back to School Communication Guide. But it says, like, don't have the time. A one pager is a great idea. And Marissa, what I tell people as a teacher is my goal every year, and it was a really, really easy goal. I always met it, but it was to literally know everybody's names by Halloween. Yeah. So that has nothing to do with behavior plans or interests or strategies or anything else. It was to know their names. And again, I totally knocked that out of the ballpark, but think about how many Kids are on your kid's caseload and how many behaviors they're managing and how many, you know, different curricula they have to implement modifications for so many different kids. And then you're saying, well, my kid doesn't have a sense of belonging here, doesn't feel loved, doesn't feel appreciated. And all you had to do was talk about Legos. Like, right. Well, then tell me I have to talk about Legos. Right. So, yeah, like you are giving them the key to building those relationships. And relationships are the foundation of success across the board. I mean, that's just daily life. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, Um, that's it. Well, I mean, you're right. And I'm so happy that you talked about loved because in divorce work, I used to say at the end of the day, like the law, according to Ashley Barlow, is I like boil the the laws about child custody and parenting time down. Basically, there's two things that that kids have to experience. They have to logically objectively be safe 
and they have to feel loved. And love has like such a different definition for everybody. But as I look at like the best interest standard, and again, I used to practice divorce work in Ohio and Kentucky. I'm no longer active in Ohio. I let my license go inactive. <laughs> and I feel like I feel so empowered. By it. Yeah, I'm not. Oh. See you later, continuing Ed. I, I, but, you know, that is such an important concept just to feel love, to feel appreciated, to feel a home, to feel understood. I think it means so much. And I say it in schools all the time now. Mm-hmm. They don't feel loved. They don't feel like you got your back. They don't feel a home. They don't feel a belonging. And that that so much of that is kind of an inclusion thing mm-hmm. because these kids with behaviors, whether they're annoying human behaviors or they're problematic, dangerous, aggressive, mm-hmm. unsafe behaviors, that affects your placement. And if your placement changes, then your home changes. And you've got to feel loved in your home. You've got to feel safe in your home. You've got to feel safe at school. And that means having a trusted person. It means having a a space in which you feel like you can decompress and also engage, you know, all of those things. And if we don't create those environments and those relationships, then kids aren't going to succeed, right? You know, and the thing about behavior, and that's that's the piece I remind everybody at nauseum, is that every behavior has a purpose. The kid is getting something, something out of this behavior, you know, whether it's, you know, attention or avoiding something or escaping something or whatever it is. And I think that's the piece that after time, people start taking personally these behaviors. They start being like, oh, well, the kid does it because he doesn't like it. And I was like, it's it's not that, it's what is it? And that's part of what the work that I do is, is sitting there and saying, what's the kid gaining, right? What are they getting out of this? And that sometimes takes an outsider's perspective to really nail down. Because when you're in it and your feelings are starting to get raw, and this has been going on for a long time, you know, you're just like, no, nope, this kid's a bad seed. I'm done. I'm out. And uh, you know, some you just you just have to get that other person to come in and say, I was like, actually, or maybe it's something you never even thought of. You know, multiple times now I've been on a case where medication has been involved or allergy medicine has been a huge trigger. It's it's amazing. Passions. Passions. Yes. You're right. When they're coming off of steroids, mm-hmm. when they start an SSRI, I've had so many cases with concussions and steroids. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. And that's the and thing. And until like, you've lived through it, you don't, you might not think about that. A team might no. not think about that. Right. No. So I just had a, 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 this is funny. I just had a school board attorney say, well, Ashley, I mean, it seems like there's always an answer for everything. Like I say, but the kid did this and you're like, well, but the kid was just on a steroid. So I told my client, you know, that he was like, there's always an answer for it. And like, you know, I I just really think that our strategy now is to make them understand our child's profile and the effect of the profile, right? Like, this is where we're going to focus our attention. Well, I guess my client told like an older child, like, you know, an, an old sibling. And the kid goes, well, that just means that our attorney's better than theirs. Awesome. And I was like, that's well, I don't know if that's true, but I do have a better understanding of human behavior. Yeah, <laughs> and that's what it comes it down to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what else I think? And I'm glad, I'm also glad that you mentioned 
Toby, I, I don't know if we were talking about this before we started to record. The snot in my head has affected my brain. I, <laughs> I took a wrong turn on the way to Target. That's how badly Whoa. this is affecting me. Can Whoa. you believe it? That's I can barely comprehend that. I just assumed I could you not, could get there in all state of being. Like you could sleepwalk there. <laughs> I, I could not get from TJ Maxx to Target this morning. Nice. I know. So I can't remember if we talked about coping skills after record or before record. But right now we're going to talk about coping skills. So I agree with you that so much of this is founded in sensory processing behaviors and problematic behaviors, especially post-pandemic. But also you and I have talked about how kind of across the board, kids are really struggling with coping skills. And when they're faced with some kind of trigger, we go from zero to 60 real fast. Or we go from like, reasonable to like, wait a minute, where did that statement or action come from? That is not a reasonable reaction to whatever this trigger was. But I, as a grown-up, and I have had many friends as grown-ups say, you know what? I don't have any coping skills either. I also go from zero to 60 right now. I also get real mad real quick. And so when you were just saying like, we need an outside person to look at our kids' behavior, I think, A, that's a good reason to have an advocate because we do go zero to 60 and I've seen myself do it. And I'm like, I'm going to have to have my dad call Lowe's on this return policy because I'm going to go postal on Lowe's. Or I'm going to have to have my husband come in and bail me out of this parenting thing because I'm about to lose my mind. Like, mm-hmm. I kind of want to body slam him. That's mm-hmm. <laughs> what my imagination is, is I just pick up my kids and I like tackle them into like a crash bath. I've never yeah. done it. No, I understand. I tell my toddler daughter all the time, the phrase I have coined when I am getting to my point, I was like, you know what? That's it. I'm going to feed you to a dolphin. Like she's obsessed with the dolphins that we see here in Charleston, South Carolina. I was like, that's it. I'm going to feed you to a dolphin. I'm done. I'm out. Like, that's it. She's like, no, don't feed me to a dolphin. <laughs> and like that somehow resets us a little bit. But that's you. You got to you got to have your way to get through it. Sometime. Yeah. Yeah. My parents used to say they were put me back in the gumball machine because that's where my brother said that's I came cute. from was a gumball machine. So they used to say they were put me back in the top of the gumball machine. Mm-hmm. Father was going to return us to Kids R Us. He's like, you buy toys at Toys R Us, you buy kids at Kids R Us, right? They got to have a return policy. You're going back. Yeah. So. He just went and picked up a couple. Yeah. I'll tell you what, I would love to go to Russia and pick up a couple of kids. I I pick up all, all, all the crazy ones with Down syndrome and I and we would just have some kind of like colony of crazy fun people and we dance a lot. That would if be I awesome. I'd just unlimited <laughs> yeah, unlimited money and time and yeah, yeah. I I I've got a big heart for people that do that. So Okay, so so adults with coping skills, right? Like, are you seeing that too, where you're like, wait a minute, that is not a reasonable way for a human to react to the stress? I, I think that as a whole, at this point, we have all experienced trauma, and that has reshaped our, our way of life. You know, mm-hmm. kids right now live through a pandemic, okay? Trauma has an impact on the brain and how we process things. You live in fight, flight freeze, whatever. Uh, and and it literally changes the way your brain synapses connect and your response to outside information. So I think there's a trauma response as a whole. I think that our executive functioning skills, our resilience, uh, have really just tanked. I don't know if that's related to screen time, lack of outdoors. What I don't know what it is, but I see it all the time. Kids don't know how to bounce back from something 
adults don't know how to bounce back from something. We go into a shutdown response. And we live in a world where it's really easy to shut down. You sit there, you put on a screen, and you just tune out. You go binge Netflix for 10 hours, you know? Uh, we live in a world where it's socially acceptable to respond to something that way. Uh, so I, I think that we we kind of cultivate it too as as just just as a uh, as a culture. And so we're not taking the time to specifically teach, oh, this is a way that we can respond when something goes wrong. How here's a different way we could have handled that. And teaching those specific social skills is beneficial to absolutely everyone, but particularly children with disabilities who yep. just might not might not have uh, been born with the ability to to foresee what their actions could have resulted in. And so it's that specific teaching of social skills that comes and it all comes back to. So and there's ways to do that really naturally in the home environment, in the school environment. It doesn't always have to be a curriculum. It's just oh. sit there and, you know, that's the thing. Yeah, so I had a behaviorist a couple weeks ago say, and that is like a colloquial term. I think she's a special educator like you that's just really good at behavior, but whatever she is, a person that is wise about behavior, say that when she was in the classroom, she used to do like the first month of exploration of alerting and calming sensory strategies. And so they would explore with the body socks and with the bubble machines and with some yoga and with some crash padding. And they would, you know, kind of do it also like based on time of day or activity or subject or whatever it was. And she was like, kids, you know, we can show them books all the time. Like I'm feeling this way and this is the strategy or the tool I need. But until they explore it and they mess around with it and they feel it, they aren't going to know how much it benefits them. And I thought, yeah, that's really it. And I've kind of been on both ends of that. Like I've had Jack try to explore too much and not like learn about something before he explores it. I know we would benefit from yoga, but I always just make him do yoga. I don't like talk to him about yoga, like why yoga is good. And he kind of needs that to buy in. But there's so many things that I'm like, oh, breathing. Well, he's been taught breathing a thousand times, but does anybody ever model it for him? No, no. Like it's not something that we put into everyday practice. And so therefore he's like, this is a bunch of blue malarkey. So like I, I, I totally subscribe to what you're saying. And the trauma thing, like I think so many people, like I, I have, I have like, really easy to see trauma, right? I was in a gasoline explosion when I was 15 and I broke four vertebrae and I have chronic pain. Yes, I have PTSD and I'm lucky enough that it stuck around. So mine's called chronic PTSD. Um, and then I have Jack and then my husband's had cancer and, and, you know, my adrenal system is just exhausted. But even if you were one of those people that kept like a fairly normal life during COVID, during like those first 12 or 18 months, the whole world was unraveling. <laughs> Everybody hated somebody. Everybody hated some idea. You couldn't go somewhere. You had to wear different things. You had to wear a mask. You had to whatever. The whole world was different. So so you could have tried to have a, a fairly normal life, but everywhere we went, there were these rules and this conflict and these changes and this risk or this like macho, oh, I'm not afraid of the risk. And so I think that even those people, they they don't realize it, but even those people experience such a different life and lifestyle 
and mentality at that time that there's no way that we weren't experiencing trauma. Everyone and then you received with- very vicarious traumatization. Everybody. Because even yeah. if you didn't feel like you were impacted, someone you know was impacted in some way. You could feel the stress of somewhere else. You saw it's all that was on the news. It changed the world. And right. so we all changed with that. Mm-hmm. However we want to accept that. Right. Yeah. And now we got to figure our way out of it and support kids that actually clinically were predisposed to unraveling more and more quickly than us. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the, that's, that is why we're having our, our kids with DDs. That's why they're unraveling more. And our kids with your run in the mill ADHD, it's why they don't have coping skills. Don't you think? Well, yeah. And I mean, as far as our student, like we had a disruption to the education system. Right. We had kids who didn't get to attend during fundamentally developmental years where you are learning to, you know, don't push your kid. Don't push your friend in the sandbox. That's an important learning uh, opportunity that many kids didn't get. You know, they skipped ahead to whatever the next grade is or they participated in, you know, emergency learning. And I will never say remote learning. I do believe remote learning works. However, emergency learning where you have kid teachers who have taught in a building for 30 years and can barely operate a VCR suddenly running online classes. That's not, that's not remote learning. That's emergency learning. And that wasn't high quality in many places. Uh, So, you know, it had high quality remote emergency learning for the first, you know, that like March to May. And then we entered a classroom with, with VCR person. Right. Oh, I was like, dear. oh, this is what America's complaining about. <laughs> so, I mean, that's the thing that really changed the educational trajectory for some of, especially our youngest kids. And we're yeah. seeing it now. We're still feeling the effects of them not having had the opportunities that we've been continuously designing and improving upon throughout the history of our state of education. Let's let's finish up with a um, rapid fire. I are not organized, not planned list of things that parents can do to help their, their kids start to work on their sensory regulation, work on their reaction to triggers, work on their coping skills. What are like three, four, 185 things that parents can do to be like, but I got one if you want to think. Yeah. Have, first of all, communicate with your child. Your child is an individual. Take the time to say, how was your day? Try to pull something out of them. Even if you don't get anything for a long time, you if you ask at the same time every single day, assuming your child is verbal, they will eventually give you something. Every child will, okay? So start the conversation. Make them feel valued at home so that if they had a hard day at school, they can come home and feel immediately safe in your presence. Try to build in routine. Routine is so important to students. Every single child out there loves the safety of a routine. Have some routine to your home. And if it's going to change from what they're used to, let them know about that in advance. It doesn't have to be that long in advance, but let them know we're going to go do something different right now. And here is why. I think that we don't always remember that our children are tiny human beings. They are people who want to understand the world. They are constantly seeking it and eventually will be adults. And they deserve explanations of what's going on too. 
So many times we expect compliance and them to just do what I said because I said it. No, most children will do what you want them to do if you explain the why. So take the time. Take the time to to help them understand why. And they're going to go forward with you instead of fighting against you. Uh, Build in that quiet time, that quiet time at home, whatever that looks like for your child, whether, you know, it's playing a board game, reading a book, coloring, just sitting in some quiet, de-stressing time. And even better, if you can participate with them, Uh, it doesn't have to be long. It can be 10 minutes, but that's so important to building that long-term safety and bond and development of a child. Uh, And if something goes wrong, remember that everybody makes mistakes, even yourself. So do you always want someone to react at you with anger or would you like them to react with understanding? So step back and say, big deal or little deal? Like, do I need to be really like loud and like, oh, I can't believe you did that. Or should I be saying, hey, it's okay. Everybody makes mistakes. Next time we'll try this right now. Let's fix it by doing whatever. And then co-regulate with them, work through fixing whatever happened. Uh, you know, those are those are my two second spitballs off the top of love my it. head. <laughs> I love it. And a strategy I thought about when you talked about how we can all like devolve <laughs> by distracting ourselves with the with the box in our, our hand, right? Like mm-hmm. everybody right now reached your well, you're you're watching us or listening to us on your on your box, but you know, your phone's always within reach. If anybody in my house is upset, um, and they go for quiet time. The rule is anything that plugs in has to be in the hallway. You may not be, I don't, you may be upset about a bad practice or a bad grade or a rule that I enforced or your own sensory processing, but you go work through it without your phone, without AirPods. I do now allow music in an AirPod because, you know, music. Yeah. Um, but I, you may not do it with a phone. And that has made a huge difference. And when I ask clients where they go and they need to decompress, they all say, well, I don't know. I guess I go up and play Minecraft. And I'm like, uh-uh, uh-uh. that is not a healthy way because we can distract ourselves. Or we go play Russian roulette and we scroll through the internet and we don't know what we're going to get. You know, you don't know if it's going to be super exciting, super sad, super empowering. It could be calming. But we don't know what we're going to get. So that's one that I'll add on there. If you're distracting yourself, then you're not processing. Right. You need to put away the distraction to process whatever it is that you're feeling in order to move forward. You can't move forward without processing. So, exactly. yeah, put it, put it yeah. aside. Yeah, I like to say get a cup of tea. Get a hot beverage. Hot beverages will will give you time to sit there and cuddle with something and process it and be ready to move forward by the end of your cup. That's what Griffin and I, we have, we drink hot drinks when we do our book club. We haven't done book club all year. We haven't needed to, but Griffin uh, and I used to do book club and we would read the same book and then we would discuss it and have hot drinks. Mine had Bailey's in it. I approve of your choice. (laughs) I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think that's part of parenting. I say all the time, I don't understand why you're not handed a case of wine upon giving birth. I'm pretty yeah. confident that should be like the the push person. Yeah. Tequila, tequila yeah. sounds a lot of problem. It really does. <laughs> Singing my song, 
Okay, friend, I just think you're awesome. And I wanted to share your wisdom with the world. This was one of the very few um, guest interviews I have done with zero lists of questions because I knew that this really would be people speak in the same language, preaching to the choir. And I hope it was helpful to you all. If you want the conversation to continue, you are welcome to comment wherever you are listening or to reach out to Marissa or to me by DM on Instagram. Any closing? Why don't you tell people where they can find you on Instagram? Because you do have that fancy new one. I do. So uh, right now my website is under construction and that's Calm Seas, C-A-L-M-S-E-A-S dot org. And on Instagram, it's Calm Seas Team. Uh, and you'll find our logos uh, cute and wavy and seas. I, I live uh, in Charleston, South Carolina. I adore the ocean. I am a transplant from the state of New York. So uh, ocean life has just been amazing for me and for my family. Uh, so I wanted to kind of embody that, that Calm Seas thing. But Seas actually stands for Special Education Advocacy and Supports. So uh, we've got the whole Calm Seas vibes all wrapped up in our logo. But uh, right now you can find me on Facebook, on Instagram, and uh, on our website that's currently under development. So really good. Really. I wish I had thought of that because I really love it. Thank you. I don't know. You got the whole ABC thing going. So I'm usually pretty jealous of what you've got. I know. I don't really like my monogram, but I took advantage of it with ABC. I know. I know. Okay. Thank you for joining us. You're amazing. Thank you for having me. You're amazing as well.